0: But uh, you brought the turkey, right? Yeah. Oh no, I didn't bring the turkey. turkey. You were supposed to bring the turkey. Turkey. Oh no, no. Uh, Xavier's bringing the turkey. That's right. Okay. Yeah, he's bringing it.
1: Forget about those 25 years of The Undertaker. Yeah. This is the 25th anniversary of the Gabalik. Yeah, he's right, he's right. And yeah. so, so, because of that, in our match tonight, up biggest and Lucha Dragons, yeah. we're gonna show the world what we can do with the power of positivity mm-hmm. and the
0: power of poultry. <laughs> <laughs> poultry is another word
1: for turkey. Got it, <laughs> poultry. got it, all not you know, know. Yeah. You know? I know. but it.
0: before then I need to go spread a little bit of the chill yeah. what a good man mm, that's you. a good All man key right. <laughs> tag turn key tag turn key tag hey. hey. look at hey. it turn key tag look at hey. it turn key tag get eyes yeah. on him
1: turn key yeah. tag turn wrestling pants are you
0: For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
1: Stupid idiot! Such a massive thong wearing fatty! Party's over, grandpa.
0: Kane was there. Kane was there too. Yeah.
1: No enhancement needed. This
0: is Monday Night Raw. This life, raw.
1: It's Wrestle Rant Radio. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, folks. Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for November 23rd, 2017. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are having a great holiday. For those of you in the States, anyway. Beyond that, hope you're having just a great Thursday. Uh, the first time we've ever had a show on Thanksgiving, so we're breaking new ground with today's show. Um, hopefully, you're checking out the show before your family festivities, after the family festivities, and not during. But I'm going to try to get the show up as early as possible. And there's a few ways you can check out the show. Of course, first on NextAirWrestling.net, stream the show there, or... The easier route to take, on iTunes, simply search up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcast. subscribe to the show. You not only get all the new episodes every Thursday, but also every archived episode ever, dating back to October of 2013. Over four years worth of content, over 200 episodes, so subscribe today. But enough about that, guys, we'll get to our guest here today, David Joseph helping me break down Survivor Series, Raw, SmackDown, the very much newsworthy week in the world of WWE. David, welcome back to the show for the first time of January. How you doing, man?
0: Hey, what's up, Graham? Thank you for having me on the show once again. It's always a great pleasure to talk some wrestling with another knowledgeable wrestling fan, and people like you and I are very invested into the product, so there's almost always something to talk about.
1: Of course, my man. I know you said you reached out a few weeks ago to be here on the show, and I don't think you could have picked a better week to be on the show. Coming off the very oh, newsworthy you know, Survivor Series, that. Raw, SmackDown, so much to talk about. But uh, before we get into everything going on with the main roster, just want to pick your brain a bit on Survivor Series, uh, what preceded Survivor Series rather, NXT TakeOver War Games on Saturday. Did you watch it? And more importantly, did you enjoy it?
0: You know what? I did watch it, and it's funny, you know, it's funny that you said I couldn't have picked a better time because, once again, that that's I'm happy to hear that because you're right. This There's so much to talk about, like, proceedings Survivor Series and the follow and so on and so on, but more importantly, it's funny you ask me this because usually I don't get to catch NXT Takeovers live. Like, usually I'll catch them maybe like a few hours after it officially aired and I'll try not to read spoilers and I have to update myself after, you know, binge watch it in some manner. But for this one, specifically because of War Games, I made it a priority. I was like, I'm going to sit my ass down somewhere. <laughs> I don't care what what I'm doing. I don't care how long of a day I had. I'm going to watch this live at it as it's happening in real time. And I'm glad I did, Graham. i've been watching wrestling probably since i've been five since i can remember like i don't remember life without it and i could honestly say this was one of the best pay-per-views i've ever seen in my life and i think i i can go as far as saying despite this being you know still the pg era and it's still pg it is one of the most physical and brutal pay-per-views i can remember in recent memory also i think they really sold the brutality of the war game structure and the the dangerousness of all men involved nobody left that match you know looking worse than the other everybody was elevated in some manner especially the undisputed era and I just love the Velveteen Dream versus Aleister Black. I, I almost think it's a toss-up between the main event war games and Alistair Black versus Velveteen Dream of what was the match of the night. But it, it, it was a great event, top to bottom. Andre Cien Almas, a brand-new champion, that was a legitimate shocker to me. Didn't see that coming either. So, yeah... The, NXT takeovers, awesome. Those, those guys get better and better.
1: Well worth watching. I don't think we've had a single bad takeover in the last three and a half years since we, you know, first started getting these NXT live specials every few months, especially before the big four main roster pay per views and. Like you said, one of the best shows in my opinion all year. A stacked card gradually got better and better from the opener to the women's match to Velveteen Dream and Alistair Black. Like you had said, in my opinion, one of the best matches all year, easily in the top ten between NXT and the main roster. The main event was awesome. Almas and McIntyre putting forth a great effort. Just an exceptional start, uh, an exceptional show start to finish. And uh just like I said, a great effort from all involved. You said you don't watch too much NXT. Is there anyone in the brand right now that you that kind of that you saw on this show that you would want to watch more of going forward?
0: Um yeah. Um, I really Lars Sullivan has caught my eye, actually. I, I, I like the I like the theme song. I like, you know, the whole cadence is the way he does his mannerisms coming to the ring and his mannerisms in the ring and I think some of his power moves look good on TV I want to see more from him I think he can be almost a Braun Strowman type I don't want to say Braun Strowman exactly and raise the expectations on him and make it sound like he needs the jetpack put on him but I think he can be a dominant monster for the WWE more importantly a homegrown WWE monster
1: And he's one of those examples, he is a perfect example of a guy that I was literally just thinking the same thing a few days ago, that in recent years, we're really starting to get more of the big men that are are actually can go in the ring as well. Like you said, Braun Strowman is a great example of that. His matches with Big Show that I thought would be pure trash ended up being great. I mean, a lot of those matches were really, really good. And Roman Reigns, obviously, those matches speak for themselves. As again, being some of the best of the year. In Lars Sullivan, we haven't seen too much of him as of late on NXT TV or the Takeovers. But uh, the match with Ono, again, as you had said, really caught my eye. The guy is a, a work in progress. As long as the main roster guy, specifically Vince, don't rush him up to Raw or SmackDown within the next six months or so... He can be a big pet project for down the road because we're finally entering an era where they're starting to build up legitimate big men. I mean, for a long time there, we had only Big Show, Kane, and Mark Henry. And they started to try to push a few people here and there, like the great Khali, and obviously he was awful. There's a lot of other guys that came <laughs> along, that came around along the way that, that just weren't really that good beyond the size. But these guys got the talent. Braun Strowman, Lars Sullivan can be that next era of big men in WWE that can go and hang with the, uh, the best wrestlers the roster has to offer today. But speaking of Braun Strowman, he was the star coming out of Survivor Series. There were a lot of big takeaways, literally and figuratively, coming out of the pay-per-view on Sunday. Um, what are your initial thoughts, uh, David, coming out of the pay-per-view on Sunday between Raw, SmackDown, battling for bragging rights, the matches, Lesnar, Styles? What, what's your biggest reaction coming out of the pay-per-view?
0: Oh, man, where do I start? Uh, well, first of all, I would like to say Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles did live up to the hype. I think it was great that Brock Lesnar, you know, he kind of broke up his formula of suplex, suplex, suplex. He did do suplex city in the match because, you know, you have to do that. You know, it's became a part of Brock Lesnar. But I feel like in this match, he made a concerted effort to keep up with AJ Styles, mix up his moves and where he places his suplexes and where he places other moves. And I I, I think the fact that it went 15 minutes just shows that Brock Lesnar is more than capable of having lengthier matches. It's just that, I guess, Vince McMahon's view is that the shorter the match is, the more dominant it makes Brock Lesnar. So, it's clear that it's more of his call to limit Brock Lesnar's matches and how, what he does in those matches most of the time. But the match was phenomenal. AJ Styles looked great in a losing effort. Like, that's just not... That's not just kayfabe. He literally did look great in a loss. He Brock Lesnar is so underrated at selling i think people need to start giving him more credit for how well he sells he gets criticized for being a part-timer and getting nine figures but let me tell you something when he does come he does deliver he gets asses in the seats he gets interests in whoever he is facing and he knows how to sell He will sell for you if you bring it. He will sell for you if he sees that you are a top dog like him and that this match together with both components can make him and his opponent a lot of money. And Brock Lesnar is a great pro, and I think he he really put over AJ even though he won.
1: And to say the least, the match was a vast improvement over what we could have gotten from Brock and Jinder. I don't even want to entertain the thought of what that match could have been had that gone on as planned prior to AJ (laughs) winning the WWE Championship a few weeks ago. But I said before the pay-per-view, this will be Brock's best match in years. And he's had a fair share of really good matches, not only just this year, but in the last number of years. I thought the matches with uh, Samoa Joe were really good. The SummerSlam main event was great, I thought. The Braun Strowman match wasn't too good, but even the WrestleMania match with Goldberg I thought was a lot better than it had any right to be. But like you said with Styles and Brock Lesnar specifically, the selling there I thought was amazingly well done. And it's not often you see Brock Lesnar sell. Like you said, that Suplex City formula that's been done to death over the last two and a half years, it's made his Uh matches boring more often than not. But he gave AJ a lot of offense, which he did not need to do. I mean, if anything, you would have thought it would have been the other way around with uh, Strowman. Strowman dominating Brock Lesnar, and he hit his finisher on Brock maybe three or four times in No Mercy. Um, but beyond that, he did not sell a ton for Brock. Or Brock Lesnar, rather, did not sell a ton for him, and it was kind of boring. It was kind of a, a bit of a boring match as a result. With AJ, rather, there's a drastic size difference there, but AJ is without a doubt the best and most phenomenal performer. Uh, no pun intended, on the WWE roster today. So for him to get the most offense on Brock Lesnar than anyone else has in at least the last year was a major indictment and an endorsement of Styles by the company that they see him as their top guy, at least on SmackDown Live. So I I agree. I really enjoyed the match. I thought the psychology there was great. I was kind of a little bit scared early on. Like you said, when we got the Suplex City for the first few minutes, I'm thinking, oh, shit, it's going to be a five-minute squash match. But they got some (laughs) time. You know, they got a, yeah. they got some more time than I thought they would, and like you said, it's a classic example, a lot like I thought with Velveteen Dream and Alistair Black on Saturday, where even in defeat, AJ looked like a fucking star, and I cannot wait for a rematch. I you know AJ teased it on SmackDown, I'm not sure if we'll get it, because Brock might be leaving the company after WrestleMania 34, um, but for what this was, I thought this was a hell of a match, and now... No, Brock and Roman might be where we're going next come WrestleMania. Do you think that has any chance of topping what we saw on Sunday?
0: Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I respect Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar's talent enough to say if they're focused and, you know, they're ready, they could put on something equal or just as good as AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar. For so the simple fact that those, their styles go really well together. Two two big heavyweights that could move smoothly around the ring and are pretty fast and agile for their size, and they got those big power moves that they could get those big spots off. And uh, and also, I, I I do think the first match they had wasn't bad at, by any means. I, mm-hmm. I think it was a little underappreciated. It, it was it was very very physical, and you know, Roman Reigns with the knees and. And how Lesnar was beating him down and the psychology of him, you know, laughing and smiling in the middle of the beatdown. And then, you know, the the whole Seth Rollins thing just made the whole night. But, yeah, I I do think they're capable of topping AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar. And to touch on Braun Strowman, uh, you asked earlier about how he stood tall. The way they ended that match, I'll admit, I didn't see it going that way. I didn't know how to feel, you know, I, I, I thought maybe, okay, I get it. Uh, Grant, you and I know Raw is the flagship show, et cetera, et cetera. It has the 25 years of history. The anniversary is about to come up. We, we get that. But one of the primary reasons why they made SmackDown live in the first place and they did this brand split again was to benefit SmackDown and, to get smackdown's viewership to increase. And with all those things being said, why I hate I know it's kayfabe and I know at the end of the day it's bragging rights and it doesn't really mean anything long term, but why make smackdown lose ultimately? That 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 was my biggest takeaway i I think smackdown deserves to win overall so the casual fan can look at it and be like okay smackdown is not the b show and smackdown live is live now and it's not you know anything different from raw if anything it really is the land of opportunity we've seen a lot of guys benefit from the brand split mostly on smackdown so i just really thought smackdown should have One more matches, and the Braun Triple H thing is intriguing.
1: Well, on a related note, I think the biggest flaw that this pay-per-view suffered from was the fact that down the road, kind of, as we got further along with the card and we can kind of see where it was going, it became predictable what matches would be won by whom. I mean, we all kind of figured Charlotte would beat Alexa and the Usos would beat Sheamus and Cesaro, but as we got into, like, the fourth, fifth, sixth matches, I mean, after SmackDown won three straight matches with Baron Corbin beating Miz, Usos winning their match, and Charlotte beating Alexa, it was very obvious that, that Raw was going to win that next match, which, which was, I think, a flaw in some people's eyes. I didn't think it was much of a flaw with AJ and Brock that it was always oh, way too predictable. We knew Raw was going to tie it up, so the main event, it would be 3-3. Three to three. That didn't really bother me because like we had just talked about, the match was fucking phenomenal. I thought it was great. Um, with the main event, and w- with, with Raw winning, I can see what you mean, and I do agree. Of the two, I mean, SmackDown was in a far better place a year ago, and it's, and it's well on its way to getting back to where it once was with AJ now as champion. It was in a rut for a long time with Jinder as WWE champion, in my opinion. Uh, Raw winning this one didn't really bother me as much as I thought it would, if only because SmackDown has a few outs, with um, Owens and Zayn costing them the win, or costing Shane the victory down the, um, down the stretch, in the final few minutes of the match. And also when you consider, I think Raw may have won more matches overall last year. It wasn't as big of a focal point. The biggest focal point last year was the men's 5-on-5 elimination tag team match, which was won by SmackDown. And the record does show, not that it really matters 10 years later, um, SmackDown did beat Raw on back-to-back occasions at uh, the 09 and 2010 bragging rights pay per view, and I, maybe even the SmackDown and Raw Survivor Series match they had back in 05. So more often than not, SmackDown has gotten the better of Raw. It's not a it's not a uh, really it, it's not a rare thing that SmackDown gets the better of Raw. It's happened more often than not in the last year. So Raw getting their win back from last year didn't bother me too much because uh, I figured Raw would win, and they also put the stipulation in place that if Raw lost, Angle would be fired as GM. So thankfully, that's not the case. Um, my biggest problem with the match, I thought, was the fact that it came down to who it did. So we had John Cena in there, Randy Orton, and I like Kurt Angle, but should he have lasted till the end? Uh, that's questionable. Triple H and Shane McMahon, five guys straight out of 2002, ending the <laughs> 2017 Survivor Series pay-per-view. You could have thought you could have gotten a DeLorean and gone back to O2, and it wouldn't have been any different. So... At the end of the day, the biggest takeaway from this pay-per-view for me is that whether it's O two, twenty thirteen, twenty seventeen, 2 2013, 2017, it doesn't matter what year it is, it's all about the authority. And we didn't have the authority there for a while earlier on this year coming out of WrestleMania cause Triple H took time off from TV, Stephanie did too, and it was a great time for Raw because they weren't opening every single friggin' show, but at the end of the show, I know Triple H and Braun Strowman, he got a bit of a rub from being in there last. and he was the one who really shined, which is great, but it doesn't, I don't know, it kind of left a sour taste in my mouth that it was Triple H who ultimately picked up the victory for Raw. Not really the fact that Raw won, but how it happened was what really bothered me.
0: Yeah, Graham, that that, that definitely left a sour taste in my mouth as well because, listen, I, I get it. Maybe, it's, maybe that was Triple H's call, maybe that was Vince's call, but whoever's call it was, it was questionable for the simple fact that it's just Triple H trolling, in a sense, because we know it's no secret that the internet wrestling community primarily looks at Triple H as the guy who has stopped people's pushes or screwed CM Punk over and held Daniel Bryan back. They look at him as, the, you know, the guy who buries indie talent that he, he's developed a reputation for harming people backstage and stepping on some toes so it just it just screamed like oh let's get all the fans to think triple h wanted his you know had to get this win for himself to you know make his inflated ego even bigger and it just seemed like they were just playing to that that stereotype that internet stereotype that's developed too much, and I it could have been way better. My my initial thought was, first of all, Jason Jordan would get involved in some manner. I think the match and how the storyline went called for him to make some type of appearance, and maybe I don't know, get Triple H eliminated, if anything. So, uh, it threw me off. But at the end of the day, they did have me interested with the Braun Strowman interaction.
1: So we're going to bounce around a bit from Raw, Survivor Series, SmackDown, and we'll get with the uh, we'll get to the Triple H Braun thing in a second because I do want to ask you about that and feature matchups for Triple H, whether it be with Braun or Kurt Angle. But it was also teased between last week and at the pay per view and this week's Raw that Triple H and Jason Jordan have a bit of a beef, but at the same time, and this has been a pretty popular point of discussion for quite a few months now. With Jason Jordan, I mean, it's pretty apparent now more than ever, the guy's not going to get over as a face. at least not this way. I think when, as soon as they announced him as Kurt Angle's son, quote-unquote, that killed him right from the get-go, and it didn't help that from that point forward, he didn't win many ma- he didn't win many major matches um, while a single star for a long period of time there, and beating Elias in a guitar and a pole match hardly counts. So coming off of that, they need to turn the guy heel, and it seems like that's the direction they're headed in, based on what we saw in Raw this week, um, we saw him in at least three or four different backstage segments with him complaining and wanted to get out of the match and wanted to get out of the match with Braun Strowman and all these other different things. Uh, what do you think of the approach they're taking currently, David, with Jason Jordan, and how would you handle his push going forward?
0: Jason Jordan absolutely does need to turn heel. It's it's wrestling one on one. You know, it's a it's a no brainer once you see a guy getting. Booze, you know, with the exception of people like Roman Reigns and John Cena, when you see an up-and-coming talent that hasn't yet solidified himself, that hasn't completely found his voice on the microphone, you see people hating on him, embrace the booze, turn them heel, and give them even more of a reason to, you know buy tickets to boo this guy out of the building and see this guy get beat up. I, I think he definitely, desperately needs that heel turn. And my thing with him is I feel like there's a little confusion with what direction they wanna take with them. Do they wanna make him the guy the guy who's spoiled and gets by because he's Kurt Angle's quote-unquote son. I get amused by it every time they say it. I I know a lot of people roll their eyes, but I can't help but laugh because they do actually look alike. It's just just funny. But anyways, I I can't tell if they want him to be Kurt Angle's quote-unquote son that's spoiled and gets by because he's the boss's kid. Or I can't tell if they want him to be that sympathetic figure that doesn't get attention from his father like they need to make up their mind so i i think the best way to you know get something out of jason jordan and move forward with with this character and to put him in a good position to succeed is make him that heel that is secretly using the fact that he's his son against kurt angle but kurt angle's too naive to notice it and then you could you know slowly progress to the point where Kurt Angle notices it and those two can have a match at at the end of this all. I do think they will end up having a match in some form or fashion if they want to get the most out of this.
1: Well, I guess it depends where it goes from here. Like I think turning Angle or rather Jason Jordan Heel is the right move to make because it's pretty apparent he's not going to get over as a babyface at this point. And, um, like you said, they need to make up their minds. And I feel like I'm giving them too much credit and assuming they're already going in that heel direction. But at the same time, you can interpret a lot of those interactions he had with Kurt on Monday as us wanting to feel sympathetic towards him in the creative mind's eye, in the creative team's eyes. So I'm not sure exactly where they're going with it. I'm glad they didn't have him interfere in the main event because we already got Owens and Zayn and having someone else interfere like a Jason Jordan or a god forbid a Kane um whatever I think brought the match down even more than it did I don't think it was a bad match it was a solid main event but I think keeping him out of the mix was for the better and saving it for Raw the next night again it it depends where it goes I mean at one point I did see them having a match at Wrestlemania they still could go that way But um, at this point in time, for a guy that could barely beat Elias on Raw, is Jason Jordan really a viable opponent for Kurt Angle at WrestleMania? Now, the obvious route to take would be to reveal him as not Kurt Angle's son, that he went along with this the entire time, he manipulated him just to get opportunities, which would be the most logical route to take, but uh, even even then, I mean, just to turn him heel is going to be a lot better than keeping him babyface, but... Will he start to show more signs of charisma? Because before he even came onto Raw on his own, he was with American Alpha. He was he was with Chad Gable. But prior to that point, he wasn't really doing much for anyone in NXT on his own. It really wasn't until he joined up with Gable that he really kind of came into his own. So, does he even have it to be a singles guy on his own? I'm not exactly sure. And I guess we'll find out in this whole storyline with Kurt Angle. Because so far in Raw, he has been lighting the world on fire. So I guess we'll see come WrestleMania, but... You spoke about Triple H and Braun Strowman. There's a lot of potential WrestleMania matchups you can that could come out of this. And uh, currently it's being rumored that Angle and H might be saved for Royal Rumble. That could happen at WrestleMania. They don't want to do Angle and Jordan or Angle and someone else. Uh, Triple H and Braun Strowman can happen at WrestleMania. So what matches would you want to see come out of this, if any, David? And uh, what we, wh- you kind of mentioned it earlier, but what did you think of the potential, you know, the T's, of Triple H and Braun going face-to-face at the end of Survivor Series on Sunday.
0: I thought the tease was good. Like I said, it it definitely got me interested because I didn't see it coming at all. And two, the pairing is interesting. You know, I I can't... Besides, you know, the big show, uh, you know, I can't really recall Triple H going up against, like, a monster like Braun Strowman. So I think the dynamic between them it could be very interesting because Braun Strowman's the monster among men. Usually Triple H gets off on, you know, bullying whoever his opponent is by sending some cronies at them or sending some random lackeys, you know, a pair uh, wrestlers to work for him to take them down, and that usually works on a normal person, but it, it won't work on the monster among men. It won't work on Braun Strowman, who has been the hottest thing on Monday Night Raw in a long time. Like He's been probably the hottest act for the past year or so. And I, do, I, I see Triple H and Braun Strowman as a better match at WrestleMania than Kurt Angle versus Triple H. For the simple fact that Kurt Angle versus Triple H is better suited for a Royal Rumble, in my opinion. So I say use that match for the Royal Rumble because two guys that fought in the Attitude Era countless times come back past their primes. I don't think that's WrestleMania worthy in this instance at all. So use it for one of the lesser pay-per-views that is a big four and is important but not wrestlemania
1: i like the idea of that i mean having them go one on one at all is it a bad match no but whatever interaction we saw with them on sunday it just wasn't too promising for a feature one on one match i mean angle can Absolutely. still you know, yep. he he could still go and i like angle a lot i mean having him return to the ring at all is cool cuz at one point it looked like he wouldn't even get cleared cuz the guy's had so many injuries He's 40-something years old, but he did, which is great, but he's not going to be the Kurt Angle of old. He's not going to go in there throwing suplex after suplex after suplex. He's going to do his own thing at his own rate, Um, and I don't really know if a style like that is going to mesh well with Triple H's, who, I'm not saying I'm a Triple H hater, but he's another guy who's got to be in there with the right guy, and the right story has to be told. Him and Kurt Angle, I'm not exactly sure that would be a great match. I'm not even sure if Triple H and Braun would be a masterpiece, but... On the bright side, if, at least if that match happens at WrestleMania instead of Triple H and Kurt, it gets Braun in a big match at WrestleMania. The same guy who was on fire you know, early on in 2017 at the onset of this year, and he wasn't even on the main card at WrestleMania. He was in the friggin' Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal and tossed out halfway through. Like, that guy deserved a lot more then. He deser- he deserves a lot better come WrestleMania 34. So, we'll see how it shakes out in the months ahead. We still obviously have three, four, five months still WrestleMania. Um, but it's not a bad match to do because if nothing else, it's a fresh match and it gets Braun in a marquee match at the top of the card. Um, But there was a lot to talk about, you know, coming out of Survivor Series with all that and Brock and AJ, we kind of talked about that. Another big moment, uh, one, you know, one thing worth talking about was Oscar's showcase and, by and large, she's been used pretty well so far in the main roster, having her emerge as the sole survivor in that women's elimination tag team match was absolutely the right call, eliminating Carmella, then Tamina, and then lastly, Natalia uh, was the right call to make with Asuka to maintain not only her undefeated streak, but give Raw the win and really just book her properly. Uh, so what were your thoughts on the match, David? It wasn't the greatest match, but I want to get your thoughts on it and Asuka's progress so far on the main roster.
0: I think Oscar is going to be all right. You know, I know a lot of people always have their fears when an NXT call-up goes to the main roster because there are a lot of times where, you know, they a talent comes from NXT and they go to Raw Smackdown and it's not exactly like their run was in NXT. It's it's a wider audience. There's there's more eyes and ears, and you know the the pressure is a little you know more hot and higher. So, but with a talent like Oscar, the sky's the limit. No matter what, you know, unless you know the WWE would go out of their way to, their way to do something really out of the ordinary and turn her into some. Stereotyping, you know, kimono wearing samurai sword, you know, stereotypes. Samurai sword wielding, you know, Tokyo song, you know. <laughs> as, as, they, as as long as they don't turn her into a stereotype, mm-hmm. so, you know, you know, because WWE has done that in the past. Absolutely, but to, but their, but to, to their credit, I think in this age of wrestling they've done a better job of not stereotyping characters to how they look or what their background is and let them kind of be more of themselves. So I'm not worried about that for Oscar. So I do think the sky's the limit for her. They're taking their time because of course if anybody had it our way she could easily walk in to a monday night law smackdown live and win the wwe woman's title like that with a snap of a finger and nobody would bat an eye and it would work and she can do it and look dominant but i like the fact that they didn't just defer to that they're they're making us wonder a little bit they're letting us get to know her and you know i think this works in a more safer manner
1: Yeah, I would say so far so good, and you hit the nail right on the head there when you said at least they're not stereotyping you as the typical Japanese wrestler. I mean, you can go down the list, from Kenzo Suzuki to Yoshitatsu, (laughs) so many guys come out to friggin' like chopstick, Funaki, oh my god, Kun (laughs) Kunaki. As fun as that character was, that was racist. That would never fly today. Kung Fu Naka? Are you kidding me? At least they're not doing that with uh, Shinsuke Nakamura or Asuka or Adeo Tami or Akira Tozawa. At least they're not coming out with the green mist and shit like that. Yeah, that is, doing, you know? They're doing better. They're doing they better. better at that. I mean, there's some stuff. Obviously, the company has its flaws, but we got to acknowledge and appreciate the fact they they have done well so far. I mean, Nakamura, say what you will, should he be higher up in the card? Absolutely but the guy's not coming out with friggin' like chopsticks and shit like that i mean at one point yeah. it's like oh that's ridiculous why would they ever do that it's like you know what they would have many years ago with a with a funaki or a yoshi tatsu and bowing and the guy didn't know english it's like oh my god that's terrible <laughs> you know so they're getting better with that type of stuff i think asuka i agree will be just fine but uh we'll talk more about the nxt call-ups in a bit but after the new debuting trio of Paige and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville attacked Alexa Bliss on Monday's Raw, do you think? And I thought it was a shoo-in that Asuka and Bliss would be, uh, you know, a guaranteed matchup for the Rumble or before that. What do you think the next step is for Asuka? She just squashed Dana Brooke on Raw, but Alexa Bliss seems to be busy with Paige and that trio that she has of hers. Uh, do you think the NXT or rather the Raw Women's Championship is the next step for Asuka on Raw?
0: Um. No, actually, and originally, had you asked me this before a Monday Night Raw, I would have told you yes, but now that Paige has came back with such fire and such unpredictability, I think you almost, I don't want to say they have to give her the championship, but I think it calls for giving her a championship in order to reestablish some type of relevance and dominance. I think with the storyline they seemingly are trying to establish, like she's back, she's revived, and she got back up now, I think it would be only right to give her the championship right away because I like Alexa Bliss a lot. I I have nothing against her as champion, but, Graham, I don't know about you, but that trio of Sasha Biggs, Bailey and Alexa Bliss, The definition of still right now. So I I think you need to just get the belt off of Alexa Bliss and give it a page.
1: I think you have to. I mean, when you look at the current landscape of the Raw women's division, they have a lot of talented women. Alexa Bliss is great. She's been the MVP in my eyes of the women's wrestling, not only of just Raw, but SmackDown too, of entire 2017. She's a four-time women's champion. But you mentioned it right there. She's already exhausted every possible feud on Monday night. She's beaten Sasha multiple times. She's beaten Bailey multiple times. She's beaten Mickey, Mickey James multiple times. And she's done a great job as champion. But it's time for something new. Now, I thought at one point we would get the Sasha and Bailey feud that we've been waiting seemingly a decade for. And we probably will still get that at some point down the road. But Paige is the new hot thing in the women's division on Raw. Now with Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville being back now, I agree. I think you got to get the belt on her. Asuka, you know, you can have her feud with maybe Nia Jax. Nia Jax wasn't involved in that whole brawl on Monday that attacked the uh, Raw Women's Division in that Fatal 4-Way or maybe Alicia Fox or something to keep her busy so she's not just floundering and facing local athletes every week. But um we might as well talk about it now. I love the return of Paige. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen her on Raw. In that year and a half off from TV was definitely the best thing that could have happened to her. Cause before she left, she got, I mean, obviously before she got hurt and all the other shit happened with her and Del Rio and the suspensions, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Before all that, she was doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. When she first got called up, the AJ Lee stuff was, was Okay. Um, But beyond that, she went on to do absolutely nothing. I mean, 2015, what'd she do? Team PCB and face uh, Nikki Bella a million times? Like Paige was an afterthought by that point. In 2016, forgot she was even on the roster. She's changed between face and heel so many times, it was hard to even care. But that year and a half from TV, she got a huge reaction when she came back. It was absolutely the best thing that could have happened. And not only is she back by herself, she's back with Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, two women that we really haven't seen a ton from in NXT, which I think is great because they're not established. And we can kind of learn more about them on the main roster, and Paige can protect them in this stable if they're not all that good in the ring yet. So I love this idea through and through. We'll talk about the SmackDown one later on in the show, but for the, Wa- for the Raw Women's division right now, David, what were your immediate thoughts, com- uh, immediate thoughts coming out of Paige's return in the debut of Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville on Monday night? Are you in favor of the new stable?
0: I'm definitely in favor of this new stable. Stables are powerful tools in professional wrestling. Like, we've seen it with Evolution. Triple H elevated Randy Orton and Batista to future world champions and even brought relevance back into an older Ric Flair. And we've seen this in DX, the Nation of Domination. The Shield, you know, guys just learn how to elevate one another or, you know, help the guy next to you look better than he may be and learn how to hide each other's weaknesses and stand out even better together. So I definitely think this helps all three women tremendously immediately. Had Paige just walked down the ring and just attacked those women by herself, nobody would be talking about it much. But the, for the fact that she bought these fresh, attractive, you know, badass women that, are doing some nice moves those moves were pretty nice to me i I like the moves that the that i saw from each one of them obviously Paige. it was nice to see that move it's been a while since we've seen that move but i think this stable is going to do tremendous for each woman involved and i think once you give Paige that women's championship and those two are by her side and you know in a program with her and helping her win and that's going to elevate their stock for when they obviously eventually decide to split and do their own thing, especially, um, Mandy Rose. I I think that she has like that it factor that they tend to go for in women. So, and I I also, I also like, uh, what's uh, it? I'm sorry. I'm, John, a blank on her name. The other oh, Sonya girl, Deville? Sonya Deville, yeah, yeah. I, I knew her from the May Young Classic, but didn't completely have her name on on the top tip of my tongue. But yeah, I think it'll do good for all the women.
1: Oh, that's not the same. Are you, are you talking about the woman that advanced to the finals in the mayon Classic?
0: No, wasn't Sonya Deville in the
1: Mayon Young Classic. Right? I don't think so, but she has been an NXT recently before, so you might be just mixing up the two. As long as you're not thinking that she's Shayna Baszler, that's all.
0: No, 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 I, I know Shayna
1: Baszler. Okay, yeah, some people, well, I mean, the thing is, is that there's a lot of similarities there between the two yeah, MMA gimmicks yeah. and stuff. I could see why people would get it mixed up. I know, obviously, you didn't get that mixed up, but some people would, so I'm glad. I mean, I guess it depends what they do with Shayna Baszler. It's been rumored that she signed to the company a few months ago, after the Mae Young Classic, and... I don't know if they're still doing the four horsewoman versus four horsewoman feud at this point. Doesn't look likely. Um, but at any rate, though, just the fact they're doing a stable alone is cool. But and we'll talk again. We'll talk more about the SmackDown woman later on. But I like the three women that are a part of this one. And we've seen women stables before in WWE, but not many of them, and a lot of them were short-lived. I mean, you talk about earlier. I had mentioned Team PCB. And uh Team Bad, like, that was completely forgettable. And the Divas Revolution, at that point, was hardly a revolution. We got six-woman tag team matches every single week. If that's what this leads to, is more six-woman tag team matches, that is the absolute last thing we need right now. But if we get individual focus on each woman in the group, specifically Rose and DeVille, it could be a major positive. And they also have history from Tough Enough from a few years ago. Paige was a judge, and DeVille and Rose were contestants, and they made it pretty far. Um, so, they have that connection. So, I really like this a lot. I really like what it does for all three women. And, like you said, if Paige just came back and in that segment that preceded the actual match, the fatal four way that ended in a no contest, when Alicia Fox came out and Bailey came out and Banks came out, one promo after another, and they all weren't good, by the way. If Paige just came out after, like, Alicia Fox, it would have been like, oh, like, we kind of expected that. And I figured she would yeah. come out at that point. And it would have been pretty predictable. But no, she came out during the match. Like it's not often we see that. They came in, they laid out everyone, and you got the intensity with Paige, you got the attractiveness, like with with Mandy Rose, and the uh you know, the badassery with Sonya DeVille, they all bring something different to the table. I like this idea a lot. Like you said earlier, it really shakes up the raw women's division with the stale matches of Mickey and Alexa again. Or Bailey and Bliss again and so on and so forth. So I'm fully in favor of the move. I guess we'll see what's next for all three women going forward, but definitely spices up Raw Women's Division in a major way. Uh, Going back to Survivor Series real quick, one thing I forgot to talk about was in that main event, we had Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, like I mentioned earlier. I just briefly alluded to, interfering in that main event costing Shane McMahon the victory. Uh, They got their comeuppance on Tuesday's SmackDown in the form of The New Day, beating The New Day in that Lumberjack match, and still teasing tension with uh, Daniel Bryan and specifically Shane. And we've got Clash of Champions coming up. The main event is already set. AJ Styles versus Jinder Mahal for the WWE Championship. But I was wondering where they might be going with this. Do we get KO and Sammy versus Shane and... Uh, Randy Orton, who's Kevin, who uh, Kevin Owens will be facing next week on the show, uh, where do you think this whole angle is headed, David, with uh, Kane, or not Kane, I'm sorry, Shane, and KO, and, and Zane and maybe even Randy Orton come the pay-per-view coming up?
0: It's hard, it's really hard to tell right now, for the simple fact that, I don't know if this is been noticing, but... It seems like they're kind of teasing dissension between Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to say that they're gonna turn Daniel Bryan heel because I, I don't, I don't think you should, and I don't think you can because nobody would want to boo him. And Shane is pretty beloved himself, so I, I don't quite get where they're going with that route because it seems like they're disagreeing a lot more, and you know, it, I can't help but get that feeling that something's lurking between that that relationship dynamic but I I don't know who does what or what happens with who but at the same time with the Kevin Owens feud I don't see any more you can do with it other than maybe Shane McMahon versus Sami Zayn Uh, I I don't want to see Shane McMahon face Kevin Owens again and a tag team match would just be corny to me in some ways for the simple fact that it would just be insert a partner with Shane for now just to face those two so I think maybe Shane McMahon versus Sami Zayn could be the next thing you do
1: yeah that could be a possibility I mean they got to set up something quick I mean unless we get Owens and Zayn again versus New Day at the pay-per-view which wouldn't make too much sense because it just main evented uh, SmackDown and the heels won relatively clean. Um, I, I I guess you could do that again, but yeah, Sheen and Zane or you could save it for the Rumble. We already had Owens and uh, Owens and Sheen at the Hell in the Cell pay per view, so I don't really want to see a rematch between them one on one. And Orton really has nothing going on right now. Shinsuke Nakamura's got nothing going on right now, and we've seen Owens and Zane versus Nakamura and Orton before, so maybe they do a rematch. I'm not exactly sure, um, it is intriguing, but what's more intriguing, like you said, is that uh, dichotomy there of the relationship between Shane and Daniel Bryan, and they have been seemingly teasing tension, which I'm not a big fan of, and we might as well to just address it now, just the over-reliance on authority figures in the company. Now, having commissioners and GMs is is fine, as long as you just don't, you know just uh, just shove it down our throat like they have been recently with Shane and Brian and I thought Shane and Brian were a great combo for Smackdown when they first premiered the show and they have been over the last year but having them tease tension is like the same thing what we've been seeing on Raw for essentially since the uh, brand split was brought back between Stephanie and McFoley, now Stephanie and uh, Kurt Angle and Triple H now it's, it's 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 the focal point of the show and it just completely takes away from every other guy on the roster so I got that same feeling, too, that it might look like we're getting a Daniel Bryan heel turn, which is interesting, I'll say that much, but who's really going to boo Daniel Bryan? That's, like, the real key here. Now, he didn't fire KO, he didn't fire Sami Zayn like we all thought that they might or that Shane had teased earlier on in the show, Um, but he did give Orton a match next week with Kevin Owens in the main event of the show, so... I guess we're going to have to see how it plays out. They don't have too much time before the next pay-per-view. There's not a lot of matches set in stone for that show, except for maybe the championship matches. And we do know for a fact every championship will be up for grabs. It's a Clash of Champions show after all. Um, But it's really uh, time will tell, I suppose, in terms of how that kind of plays out in the coming weeks. But I do want to talk about, speaking of SmackDown, the other women's trio that debuted this week on WWE TV, consisting of Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan and Ruby Raya attacking Naomi and Becky Lynch backstage before crashing the SmackDown Women's Championship matchup between Charlotte Flair and Natalya, attacking both women and making a major statement. Now, it's cool to have fresh blood on SmackDown. That was long overdue. I really thought the, uh, you know Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, the iconic duo of NXT, were a in to show up on SmackDown. Wasn't the case, unfortunately. Um, but it, it's great to have fresh faces, but... It feels a, like a complete ripoff of what we literally just saw 24 hours earlier with Paige, Sonya Deville, and Mandy Rose. And all three women have, again, bring something different to the table. I think Ruby Riot is great. Liv Morgan have never been really all that sold on. And uh, Sarah Logan is also good in the ring as well, but they don't have that same chemistry. We really don't know much about it. Um, at, least with pa- at least with Paige, she brings that experience factor to the table. Uh, I I don't really know what to think of it so far, other than it's great to have fresh women, fresh blood, new blood on SmackDown, but I don't really know what they were thinking in doing literally the same thing that Paige, Rose, and DeVille did 24 hours earlier.
0: Yeah, you almost literally took the words right out of my mouth. That that was exactly my take on the situation. Like, yes, hooray, I'm glad there is fresh blood in the women's division. Both divisions needed some new blood and some new talent to go around to get more variety into the product but however it just seemed lazy like oh raw did it let's do it here on smackdown live too i I see the most potential in ruby riot i I like what i saw from her in nxt i I think she stands out a lot and in a very visual business like professional wrestling it's, it's really good to have that trait, you know, whether it's your your size or something on your, your skin or a certain hairstyle or whatever it is, you, whatever it is to help you have an aura or a presence that isn't like the next person, That that's a good thing. And I think the sky's the limit for her. But the other two women, I want to see more from them. I want to get to know them. That's what I hope to see for the most part for both the the new SmackDown women and the the new Raw women. Them giving us an opportunity to know who these women are and why they are the way they are. And just explain the character. Use some vignettes. Use some you know, skits, use some promo, give them some microphone time, you know, want to get to know these women a bit
1: more. (laughs) To me, that was the biggest problem they had with the Divas Revolution, quote-unquote, when they first started doing it in the summer of 2015. Again, it was great to have Charlotte, Becky, and Sasha on Raw, but they gave us no time to get to know each woman. So during that period of time, Charlotte was not a good babyface at all, no one bought into her as a babyface whatsoever. Sasha Banks was just kind of there. She was kind of a background player for a long time in 2015. And Becky Lynch, the same thing. We really didn't get to know much about her, so no one really gave a shit for a long time. Up until 2016, when we finally got that three-way involving all three women in time for WrestleMania 32. Beyond that, we really didn't know much about these women early on because we had no video packages, no sit-down interviews, and hopefully they just don't have these women come in every week and attack people because we've seen it before. We literally just saw it a few months ago when they, when they had the welcoming committee with Natalia and Tamina and Carmella another stable that had no chemistry at all and we really knew nothing uh, about why they were together and we're going to get another six man tag team match another six woman tag team match rather a clash of champions like that that doesn't interest me we've already seen god knows how many fatal five ways fatal four ways triple threats and all this other stuff um, with the women on both Raw and SmackDown, I'm ready for a one-on-one feud, and I, it doesn't look like we're headed in that direction. Like if we get Charlotte and Ruby Riot for the title of the pay-per-view, that would be cool. But it, to me, it looks like we might be getting Becky, Charlotte, and Naomi versus friggin' Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan, and we're really gonna see how it's gonna, you know, how good these women really are. Again, like you said, Ruby Riot, great look. It's different from any other woman on the roster, which is great. She's got charisma. We saw that in NXT. She'll just do fine. She'll be, you know, she'll do just fine. Sarah Logan, I know she's a good wrestler. She was in the May Young Classic too, um, but I don't know anything about her, so we'll see how she fares on the main roster. And Liv Morgan, again, I it, just in my opinion, she's not good all that in the ring at all. Um, so I guess we'll see how she does with the women on SmackDown if she can learn from them or if she'll end up like Dana Brooke, who is just. Floundering in Raw right now Because she sucks in the ring um, But it is interesting Like you said Bottom line At least we get new blood On Raw in Smackdown With the women um, But also on Smackdown We got the More so We got some more new blood In the Smackdown Tag team division With the bloodger and brothers uh, Harper and Rowan They're no longer Luke and Eric They have dropped They have since dropped Their first names Uh, The Bludger and Brothers making short work of the Hypros on Tuesday uh, in very dominant fashion. What were your initial thoughts, David, on the re-debut of Harper and Rowan on Tuesday night?
0: I like it. In fact, I love it. You know, if I had it my way, a talent like Luke Harper would be in the upper mid-card to main event. I understand that, but at the same time, as a fan and as, you know, someone who carefully watch his professional wrestling. I understand that. You know, not everybody is going to rise above at the times you want them to. Not everybody is going to be pushed at the same time or at the time you might think. So I'm okay with a guy like Luke Harper, teaming with Eric Rowan, to give SmackDown Live's tag team division more talented teams. And I think this is a, a key chance to revitalize these guys as a threat in the tag team division because it's blasphemous and it's totally, totally ridiculous that those two were never tag team champions when they were with the Wyatt family. So this is a chance for them to get relevant, to be that scary powerhouse team on SmackDown Live and capture some tag team championships sooner or later.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. With these guys, I mean, Eric Rowan has never been all that good on his own to begin with, but Harper really had potential, especially earlier on this year. This is the same guy who almost went on to main event WrestleMania for the WWE Championship with AJ Styles and, or not AJ, it was uh, Luke Harper, or uh, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. And that would have been a great triple yep. threat match, and he should have been in that match because what we got instead, in my opinion, was fucking terrible. That feud sucked, was and a having... Flopped. It was a complete flop. A lot of just smoke and mirrors and a lot of awful shit that just was not a good WrestleMania match at all. And having Harper in there would have been a lot better because the story made sense. He was getting over. God forbid he was getting over with the audience, so let's just cut his legs from underneath him and not have him wrestle in the main show, and it was all downhill from there. And they took him off TV completely, and you know what? Like you said, he should be at that level of upper mid-card, but if nothing else, he's back on TV, and if nothing else, again... At least he's back with Rowan, because those two worked very well together. They are former NXT Tag Team Champions, but you're right. On the main roster, they never clinched the tag titles once. And uh, Bray Wyatt teased last night on Twitter. He said, come back home or something like that. I'm thinking, yes, put these guys back together. Now, the gimmick itself, I'm not too sold on just yet. Uh, The attire's a little goofy, bringing the hammers down and shit. But in the ring, these guys are fucking great. And I saw someone tweet out last night during the show that... They are currently on the same show as The Usos. Now, lest we forget, The Usos, Harper, and Rowan had an amazing series of matches back in 2014 over the tag team title. So, maybe they rekindle that rivalry at some point down the road over the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. But, either way, it was a good re-debut for the team. SmackDown Tag Team Division now has New Day, Owens and Zayn, Gable and Benjamin, The Usos, these guys, and Brazongo and Ascension, and even Rusev and Aiden English. So... That's a lot of good, healthy tag teams for SmackDown. Raw could use some help. Maybe we get Authors of Pain going to Raw soon. I know they were, I had read somewhere per WWE or per PW Insider, they were backstage at SmackDown last night. Um, I thought they might show up at the end of the show. They did not. Maybe they're holding off till next week because they already debuted uh, the other three NXT women on that same show. So maybe we see it next week. Maybe that's a Clash of Champions match. But. Uh, The SmackDown Tag Team Division, bottom line is in good hands with all these tag teams, so it's great to see. Um, As we finish up here, just a few more talking points, including one big one from Raw's side from Paige's return and the debut of Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Another big memorable moment from Raw on Monday night was Roman Reigns becoming the new Intercontinental Champion. Now, reportedly Miz has to go off and film the Marine Six or something like that, so he's taking time off, hence the abrupt title change. Uh, But it looks like to me that Reigns winning the IC title might not be the same. I mean, it might be the same thing as him winning the U.S. title last year where he doesn't defend it at all. But it does look like we're going back to what we saw with the Shield many years ago where all three members are champions. Now, I would assume Ambrose and Rollins will regain the gold at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, So what were your thoughts, David, on, on Roman Reigns winning the IC championship and how long do you think he holds the gold for?
0: You know... I'm not one of those people that hates on Roman Reigns. Because I actually like Roman Reigns. I I do think he is a little bit miscasted for the simple fact that with his look and his appeal, he would be much more natural as a badass heel. I, I think if you have eyes, anybody has to see that in them man. And it tends to be easier to be a heel and get hated than it is to, you know, get the fans to universally warm up to you. But, you know, this move, I understand that Miz is going to, you know, be filming a movie. And I understand that Miz can't hold the Intercontinental Championship forever because that is his title. Like everything Miz says, I buy into for the simple fact that it's true. It's true. It's not just him spitting fire in a promo inside the script, you know, within the confines of the script. Everything he's saying, it is really true. He has made the title relevant. He is consistent. He doesn't get injured. You know, he's very durable and consistent. So, with that being said, why not give that rub to somebody else? I get it. In the back of their minds, they're probably like, okay, Brock Lesnar's a part-timer. We probably won't see him till, you know, maybe January. And we, we got to keep him and Roman Reigns apart because, you know, we want to save that match for April at WrestleMania. But at the same time, it's like... Roman Reigns does not need that championship, and it feels like they just gave it to him as a placeholder. I hate to use that word, but it feels like a placeholder. Let's let's give you a championship because you can't quite get to that, the universal championship right now because of our future plans. So let's give you this championship just because. And also, yes, I think you're right. They want all the Shield members to have championships. I didn't put that in my head. Uh, until you know you bought it up, but yeah, I do think you're right about that.
1: It looked like I mean, I had a pretty good feeling that it, it looked like Braun Strowman would win the championship for Miz. I mean, he's now a baby face. They had teased, you know, some tension. They had had a little mini feud there for a while coming out of TLC when Miz pretty much murdered Braun Strowman in the garbage compactor and the garbage truck. Um, but they didn't really follow up on that. I mean, Kane attacked and now we have Braun and Kane for the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, at least it keeps Braun busy. But the feud hasn't really been lighting the world on fire. So, but I thought Braun would be a better fit as that, you know, for that championship. Or even Finn Balor and Samoa Joe. I mean, those guys had a great match on Raw this week, and they're not really fighting for anything. I mean, they're having a good feud, but it would be a lot better if it was for like the Intercontinental Championship. I mean, Samoa Joe would be a great fit as IC champion. Finn Balor would be a great fit as IC champion. Elias. Elias, I tweeted out the other day. Elias is a
0: revelation on Raw.
1: He really is. I tweeted out the other day. I'm thinking this is not going to happen in a million years. But Elias beating Roman Reigns to the IC title would make my heart happy. And it really would. I mean, the guy has been a <laughs> lot of fun to watch on Monday nights. A lot more than I like Elias now a lot more than I did in NXT. And that is very, very rare. If I don't know if I've ever even said that before. So it's great to see Elias doing well. And him as a future IC champion would be a lot of fun to see. Um, but speaking Elias of Balor, is awesome. Elias is great. He's He's been getting a lot better on the main roster. And, and the matches aren't always amazing, but the guy can hold his own in the ring. And his feuds, he's won more often than not. So it's cool to see him gradually building momentum. Um, unlike a guy like Finn Balor. Now, he lost on Monday. He tapped out to Joe. Great to see Joe doing well. But at one point, it was rumored that we would get Balor and Brock for the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble. At one point, it was scheduled for Great Balls of Fire and all these other pay-per-views. They didn't happen. It was scheduled for a Survivor Series, but they went with Raw versus SmackDown instead. And at one, then it was pushed back to Royal Rumble, and it doesn't look like we're getting it now. Because why would you have him lose to Joe on Raw? So, who do you think Brock's next opponent for the Universal Championship will be, David? Do you think Balor has a chance of getting back on track before the show so we could face the Beast? Uh,
0: I don't see it happening. No, I I don't see it happening, and I I, I don't. As much as I love Ben Balor and as much as I love Brock Lesnar, I also don't want to see that pairing. That pairing scares me much more than the AJ Styles-Brock Lesnar pairing, because even though AJ Styles and Brock Lesnar were able to do what they did, I feel like AJ Styles is not viewed as... I mean, he's not the biggest guy, he's not the biggest fish in the pond, but... I feel like in management's eyes and in perception's eyes of most fans and in most fans' perceptions, he's not quite a cruiserweight. He's more like a middleweight, like heavyweight, you know. He's built at 215 pounds, 218 pounds or so. So he's more of like you can get away with it and he has those, you know, moves where you could get away with it and he could. And they look like they're painful. But I feel like Finn Balor, it would be viewed and perceived as the cruiserweight underdog, undersized guy facing the Beast. And I feel like they would be more willing in going the direction of Finn Balor being squashed. And I'm afraid of that if he faces Lesnar. So I wouldn't want to see it. I I think for Lesnar, it's tough to say because, you know, they want to keep him away from Reigns. We've seen him face Seth Rollins him and Dean Ambrose could have been a classic, but they squandered it. I, I never quite get what happened with that. But if they were somehow magically revisit that, that the Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar, that that would be something unpredictable and creative. And um, yeah, I think Dean Ambrose could be a, a, a very su- suitable opponent. Obviously, we know he can't win, but I guess. I just hate how their first program together went, right? and I, I think they're better than that. They Both of them are definitely way better than that, that they showed in their initial storyline.
1: I enjoyed the storyline, just the match wasn't as good as it probably should have been. I mean, I enjoyed the match, too, to an extent, but yeah, I completely agree that they probably had a lot more in the tank than what they delivered at WrestleMania. And Ambrose is free, I mean, unless they regain the Raw tag team title soon, and he could be a viable opponent for Brock, him or Seth Rollins. Hey, they could do Brock and Roman to the Royal Rumble. I highly doubt it, but you never know. That's I guess they, I would
0: prefer. You know,
1: I would rather have it at the Rumble. Just get it over with there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would rather that. While we're talking about Brock as possible opponent, I got to ask, because it's been floating in my mind, and I've never asked somebody out loud. Before he had his unfortunate injury, do you feel like Big Cass would be... An opponent, a viable opponent, and a realistic option to throw at Lesnar before this injury? Because, I don't know, I can't help but get the feeling that they were thinking about at least letting him go against Lesnar. Because if you recall, the the first time he beat Enzo in, in Big Show, he, he went on Raw Talk and said... I deserve to be universal champion. I deserve to get the beast. And they never really acknowledged it too much on TV. They acknowledged it a little bit. But a few weeks later, he unfortunately got hurt. So would you buy into him when he comes back? He he got a lot of ground to make up, unfortunately. But sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. And Time Off was your biggest best friend, as we see with Paige. So what do you think uh, about Big Cass possibly ever –
1: You know, facing Brock Lesnar. You know, that's not a far-fetched idea. I mean, you know, now that you mention it, there's a pretty good chance they were probably looking at that happening at some point between, you know, SummerSlam and WrestleMania 34. Um, Maybe it was on going to be on a B show. Who knows? But you know what? It could have happened. I mean, they were pretty much they were protecting him a lot. I mean, he squashed Enzo a few times. He beat Big Show of all people, which is not an easy feat at SummerSlam. Now, would he have been ready? I don't think so. I mean, the match with Big Show was, was pretty bad, and I like Big Show, but Big Show just yeah. had a great match with with, uh, with Braun Strowman, so it's not like Big Show doesn't have it anymore, and Big Show's not a great wrestler per se, but the guy can go with the right opponent. Him and Braun worked well together. Big Cass, not so much. Um, I mean, that's not to say they wouldn't have done it. I mean, they put Big Cass in that fatal 4-Way for, uh, for the Universal Championship about a year ago, and he didn't do too bad. I thought he actually did well, but then again, he was in there with Rollins, Reigns, and uh, Owens, so... I'm not sure if him and Brock would have been a great match. And we still could see it down the road, depending on what Lesnar's status is. I don't think Cass will be around for WrestleMania. That's what he said in a recent interview. And Lesnar might even be gone by that point. Um, But you better believe that it's going to be a big deal when he comes back. Not because he's ready, but because the company wants him to. Um, Maybe he turns back babyface, but I think a better option would be just to reunite him and Cass. Maybe not as a tag team per se, but as a heel manager-wrestler combo. Because Big Cass can't really talk by himself. But putting Enzo with him, and it keeps Enzo out of the ring, um, not to say that, that Cass is great in the ring, but I think that would be the best course of action. And maybe at some point, point, Brock's not really a face or a heel, he's just Brock fucking Lesnar, so he could do the match. Um, I'm not sure. And we could also see Brock beat the shit out of Enzo, so maybe it's a win-win in that respect as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, keep an eye out for that. I, I, I like that you brought that up, because that could be a possibility. Maybe not before Mania, because I think Cass will be out for... A little while longer, but maybe after Mania, if um Brock Lesnar's still around, assumingly. Um The last point of discussion, I do want to bring up real quick before we wrap it up. Hideo Itami last night This kind of flew under the radar last night, but uh it was announced on 205 Live he is Cruiserweight Division bound on the main roster. Finally, after three years, coming, uh, Hideo Itami's coming up to the big leagues on Raw and SmackDown, uh specifically 205 Live. Now, a lot of people have been just pooping on the idea of him joining the Cruiserweight division, which I get, because 205 Live, it's not bad, but no one cares. And it's really just a kiss of death, because you know, Neville and Aries weren't really able to a- escape that stigma that they were Cruiserweight wrestlers, and Neville walked out, and Aries got released, and all this other shit happened. All the other guys remaining in the division aren't doing too hot right now. Um, but you know what? The guy was doing nothing in NXT. He's been down there for three years... And if he wants to go back to Japan, at least he could say he wrestled on Raw and on the main roster before leaving. So I want to get your quick two cents, David, on Hideo Itami heading to 205 Live in the coming weeks. Hideo
0: Itami going to 205 Live is going to be a great addition. Why? For the simple fact that 205 Live slowly but surely is on the rise. It really is. Enzo Amore, as bad as he is in the ring, he's adding a character element the 205 Live that they didn't previously have and you know Jack Gallagher turned heel that's another character that you know kind of establishing and then I, I hear that Neville and WWE are in the works of talking things over so if he comes back that's another character and they're, they're slowly establishing characters like if these guys are just jumping around doing amazing moves, no one cares. We need some characters to love and some characters to hate. So they're slowly but surely doing that. And I think Hideo Tommy going to 205 Live is going to give them another character to work with. And he can be effective. I think he could be most effective as a villain or heel.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Right before, I mean, he hasn't been an NXT TV for, for months now. But before he took time off for whatever reason or they haven't used him, he was doing great as a heel. I mean, the matches with Alistair Black and Cassius Ohno were really good, I thought. So, um, yeah, after, you know, once he comes back, I mean, they have a heel in Enzo, but, I mean, I guess they needed just a strong baby face, whether it be Cedric Alexander. And like you said, for as bad as Enzo is in the ring, at least he's bringing a character element to 205 Live, so him and Atomi could, could do well together, considering Atomi can't, you know, he doesn't. His mic skills aren't amazing, so maybe Enzo can kind of uh, carry the load form in that respect if they were to feud, um, assuming Tommy's a babyface. But I think it's a good move, because you're not going to keep the guy in NXT forever. He wasn't doing anything anyway. He wasn't going to win the championship. Unfortunately, he's injury-prone. He got hurt at the worst possible times, and he's just not really building momentum at all. He's, he's just kind of there in NXT. So... You might as well just go to 205 Live and see what he can do there. And 205 Live, maybe it will be elevated by Atami. They also have reportedly Rockstar Spud from Impact Wrestling coming in, so maybe he'll add some more depth to the division that wasn't there before. So time will tell, but personally I'm looking forward to it, and it seems like you are as well, David. But uh, before we wrap it up, David, thanks again for coming on the show. As always, for the first time in quite a while, great to... uh, Uh, Shoot the breeze on WWE and what has been a crazy newsworthy week between Raw, SmackDown, Survivor Series. But before we let you go, David, uh, where can the people find you on social media? And feel free to plug anything else for the people.
0: All right. Once again, thank you so much for having me, Graham. And for those people listening, you could subscribe to my YouTube channel, Wrestling with Things. We talk all things pro wrestling, sports entertainment, and even other various sports, and you could also check out some in-depth interviews on there as well. It's a YouTube channel that my brother Sammy Joseph and I have been doing for a little bit over a year now, so you can check us out, the video podcast, subscribe to us at Wrestling With Things, and like our Facebook page at Wrestling With Things.
1: Sounds good, man. Like you said, always great talking, and I'll catch you down the road.
0: All right, thank you for having me. Take care. With all
1: that being said, folks, you can follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. On YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. And I would be remiss if I didn't thank you guys on Thanksgiving of all days for your continued strong support of the show. Thoroughly appreciate it. You can continue to do so and check out new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, not only. On nextthetrestling.net, but also on iTunes by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio on Apple Podcasts. You not only get all the new episodes every Thursday, but all the archived episodes as well, dating back to October of 2013. So another new show lined up for next Thursday. Until then, guys, have a great rest of your Thanksgiving. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.